Hello, and welcome to Essential Alchemy. Alchemy is defined as a power of process that changes or transforms something in a mysterious or impressive way. My hope is that the information in this podcast can help you transform your mood, your energy, your physical health, or even help connect some dots and help you shift your mental and emotional state. I'm your host, Jody Cohn, a best-selling author, award-winning journalist, functional practitioner, lifelong learner, and founder of Vibrant Blue Oils, a company that sells proprietary blends of alchemical essential oil remedies designed to return you to optimal mental, physical, and emotional balance. You can find out more about me and my company at vibrantblueoils.com. And with that, let's get started with today's episode. I'm super excited to be here with one of my favorite people and closest friends, Dr. Christine Schaffner. Dr. Christine has seen, usually patients who come to see her have seen 20 to 30 practitioners before they find her. And one of the things that other people miss that Christine knows to look for is any kind of inflammation or congestion in the vagus nerve. And so I'm going to have Christine jump in and kind of talk about what are some of the, um, you know, a typical patient look like that might have some vagus nerve uh, toxicity or inflammation. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Jody. I'm so excited. You know, we've had so many of these conversations over the years trying to understand um, you know, what is really going on with the vagus nerve is that's a place where we both love to dive in and connect with. And I, you know, when I'm thinking about how to share information today, um, you know, really dozens of young women and women come to mind who I treat. And it's this constellation of symptoms that these women are struggling with. And, you know, we're, you know, learning every year on how to help them better. But, you know, the typical patient that I would see that has um, really a, a dysfunctional vagus nerve, and we can go into that, what that means, but a vagus nerve that is infected and inflamed and can be, um, you know, filled with environmental toxicants. And there's just not this um, brain to body connection or uh, body to brain connection uh, that we want via this amazing um, cranial nerve that we have wandering through our body. And so the the patient that I think about um, when we're talking about this is maybe a woman. And again, men have these symptoms too, but I think women for lots of different reasons are a little bit more skewed to having this constellation of symptoms. So um, they might have something called POTS or it's called postural postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So when they stand up, their heart rate goes very fast and they feel dizzy and unwell, and it's very quite debilitating. Um, They might have some uh, form of mast cell activation syndrome. So that, that term gets thrown around a lot these days. And I think it's a really important area to look, but we're not always seeing the extreme uh, version of mast cell activation syndrome, but this imbalance of mast cell and histamine response in the body. Um, we also see these patients have, um, they might be mold sensitive. They also um, you know, might have Lyme and co-infections, especially a Bartonella infection that we know that can um, wreak havoc on the vagus nerve. Um, they can also have um, different mental emotional symptoms um, from um, obsessive compulsive disorder to anxiety, insomnia, depression. Um, there's also this whole uh, gut paralysis or gut dysfunction where they have slowed motility in their gut um, that's related also to slow, slowed bile flow and constipation. Um, there's also, again, um, you know, these are, I would say, what the symptoms are 
that, that look that they look like for this patient, but there's areas of what we would call focal infection in the body that we can talk more through. And these are uh, maybe these um, hidden or stealth infections that are also um, preventing the body from getting well and recovering the vagus nerve. So I'm happy to share more, but you know, as we, uh, we, as we look at this um, kind of constellation of syndrome symptoms, these women are um, highly sensitive. They're highly, um, you know, symptomatic, their lives are very um, halted because of what they're going through. And so it's, it's been um, quite a journey that many of my patients have gone through and they teach me every day. And I think we've learned, I've only been doing this 10 years, but in the 10 years, I think we've learned a lot about, you know, what to look for and how to help these women and how to get them on um, the road to recovery more quickly. And I love, thank you for putting all those constellation of symptoms together, because I think you're going to connect a lot of dots for people about why these symptoms that may not seem to connect are connected. So I'd love to talk about, I know that you've done a lot of research about the neck channel and the vagus nerve and how when the vagus nerve is congested or infected, it kind of impacts the ability of the body to, to function you know, the brain to signal the body, the body to signal the brain. Can you land on that a little bit and just explain what you're seeing and, and mm-hmm. why that is triggered? Absolutely. And so when we think of just anatomy, so the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, it exits the brainstem and there are branches alongside the neck. So, um, you know, Jody and I did a class a few years ago and we talked about how the neck is really this highway, um, you know, in the body, in and out of the brain in an area where I see, because of the work that we do, that I see a lot of, um, you know, things to clean up in this area to help restore function of the vagus nerve. So when we're thinking about this, um, Diana Driscoll actually does some wonderful work. I interviewed her on my podcast. She's done a lot around, she she sees the syndrome as well, and she had a personal experience, but she talks about improper cranial pressure in a lot of these patients. So what that means is there there is pressure or fluid buildup in the brain. And I look at it more of um, from the uh, angle of the glymphatic system. So I'm thinking when uh, patients have improper lymph drainage in and out of the brain, that this can create a a pressure gradient and we can go through all of this. But what can happen is, um, let's take a step back and say the underlying cause for some of these um, women or these patients, they might have a chronic viral infection, they might have Lyme and Bartonella. Um, So they may have um, congestion in their cervical lymph nodes. So their cervical lymph nodes may be an area that if you feel their neck and you can palpate these, um, these lymph nodes. Um, so signaling that the immune system is um, highly active in this area. And so what we um, see with this is twofold. One is um, just think of it as like there's a kink in the hose. So if there is pressure or inflammation here, that's going to create a backup or buildup of lymphatic um, fluid in the brain that it won't be able to properly drain. And so when that is happening, there's this pressure gradient that also affects the venous system and not to get too in the weeds with this, but um, the lymph system is highly connected to the venous drainage, or many people have heard of the jugular veins, right? So these are the veins that are the exit route of blood out of the brain. And so the lymph flows along the veins. So again, taking another step back, we see with some of these patients, when you have Lyme and co-infections, these things can affect the endothelium 
or the lining of the veins. So exactly. that, that can create um, just changes in the structure of those veins that creates pressure or buildup. And so what I'm painting the picture of, if you're stuck here, this won't drain and there's going to be right. here, right? Right. And it's, it's the lymph, the veins and the vagus nerve that are all kind of competing for space. And if one takes up too much space, the other has less space. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we see that um, specifically in something called the carotid sheath, which Dr. Driscoll writes about in her book, where there's an area in the neck, it's called the carotid sheath, where the carotid artery goes up to the brain, the vein of the jugular vein is in that as well as the vagus nerve. So when you have this pressure um, buildup in the system, the vagus nerve is going to become compressed. And right. that's, the effect, that's going to essentially affect the communication. So there's a structural piece to this. And then when we have um, infection um, inflaming our cervical lymph nodes, the proximity to those pathogens to the vagus nerve can basically, um, you know, through the work of um, Van Alsacker, I can never say his name, but the yeah, 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 the Tufts researcher, Michael Van, Van Alsacker. Yeah, so he, um, I think he really, he paints the picture. It's, it's funny, and you know this about me. I, you know, we see patients every day and I'm just, I feel like a detective and an observer. And then I, you know, go into, you know, PubMed and Google Scholar. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is all, why this is all related. And so it's really wonderful how he really, um, you know, created more of a um, scientific, you know, medical understanding of what we're seeing with the infection piece of the vagus nerve. And so if you have these pathogens in the cervical lymph nodes, the proximity to the vagus nerve, so part of our nervous system, um, you know, we have not only the nerve, but there are these cells that protect the nerve called the glial cells. And the glial cells can um, become um, highly alerted that there are viruses or Lyme co-infections. And then that sets a whole cascade of signals to say, hey, wait a second brain, we are under attack and we need to kind of slow things down so we can get on top of this. And so what's happening is um, these infections are basically creating this inflammatory um, process um, in the body that goes systemic via um, this really connection really in, in the neck and it's the proximity of these pathogens to these glial cells that are signaling to the vagus nerve that are signaling to the brain and that's why the systemic issues are happening and so um you know that's a big piece to land on and we can right you know, right now you've, I, I want to back up a little bit because you've shared so much great information so vagus nerve infection hypothesis which is about pathogens and infections kind of triggering, triggering that sickness behavior. And that's what we sometimes see in chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, or multi-chemical sensitivity. And also just the structural piece where the, the neck holds, you know, the lymph, the veins, the vagus nerve, obviously the bones and compression on any one of those can impact the, um, the signaling and the ability and you mentioned, I'd love to get into first kind of the root causes. You mentioned infection as one of them. And then I'd love to talk about some of the strategies. Obviously, every patient is different, but things that you um, see working to kind of improve that communication. Mm -hmm. if, if you can land a little bit more, if you want to expand on infection or gut or any of the other histamine issues that mm -hmm. are at play. 
Mm -hmm, absolutely. So I think um, before we move from the head and the neck, um, so when I talk about infection, right, so we, we know in the world that I work, we look at the immune system, we look at environmental toxicity, and of course, that intersection. Um, but when we're thinking about infection, we're thinking about you know, of course, viruses, retroviral infections, we think about Lyme and co-infections, we think about mold illness, so environmental mold exposure, and then also fungal infections, and of course, parasitic infections. So we're looking at that whole soup and why this is um, a very hard problem for conventional medicine to solve is because it's not one thing and this is not a linear process. This is a ecosystem that gets imbalanced when the body is under stress. So when I talk about any of these things, most of my patients has a, have a combination and you know it's the chicken or the egg, right? So um, as far as, you know, so we're always gonna evaluate, assess, and do the labs that we can to demonstrate these things. But one of the reasons why um, some people may have gone through treatment for any of these infections, but still not um, are not getting well, is because they have something what we call a focal infection. And so a focal infection, this is a term that we use that comes out of German biological medicine and neurotherapy, that these are these hidden infections and why they're hidden is there's the immune system isn't having its appropriate response of saying, hey, let's go clean this up, right? Of course, I'm you know, simplifying that. So the, the infections that we find that are very um, related to the health of the vagus nerve are when we look at the tonsils, we look at the mouth, and we look at the sinuses. So just to go through all of those, so the tonsils are a huge area of lymphatic tissue that are really important for our brain and our gut health. I really feel like that's really where the immune system connects our gut and the brain and in the tonsils. And we have this ring of lymphatic tissue called Waldeyer's ring. So um, we always think of the palatine tonsils, which are the tonsils we know that get swollen when we have infection. And then we have the adenoids, the tubal tonsils at the end of the eustachian tube, and then the linguinal or the lingual tonsils underneath the tongue. So that whole ring of lymphatic tissue, if you've had chronic strep, if you've had mono, if you've had any kind of chronic infection, this can be an area or a reservoir of infection that's an entry point to creating inflammatory, um, basically not only pathogens, but inflammatory um, cells to keep them, uh, but basically the microglial activated and keep brain inflammation up. So we wanna always address the tonsils. And many of these patients that I work with that I've shared, they either have had chronic tonsillitis, a history of strep, history of Epstein-Barr. In some patients, I do recommend a tonsillectomy. I never take that lightly, but when you see these um, patients struggling for so long, sometimes that's going to be, you know, the, the pros and are going to far outweigh the cons, and we just need to get that really really unhealthy tissue out of the body. So the and body is, is that because, I've, I've heard Klingarts of the tonsils are the toilet of the brain. Mm -hmm. Is that because keeping the tonsils in there kind of keeps these pathogens in circulation and removing them eliminates it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we think about the, that to toilet of the brain comment, the, the lymph out of the brain drains in the cribriform plate. So if you Google that, that's kind of at the base of the um, sinus and basically it's the communication between the sinus and the, um, the brain and the lymph drains through there and then the drains in the back of the throat. So if that's a highly infected or congested area, that's gonna affect lymph drainage. Just think of that whole, um, you know, basically congestion Beautifully. And, exactly. and in the neck. And so that, um, so again, and then this is um, Dr. Voshtani, who is the Cyrix lab, um, you know, owner or lead advisor there. He wrote a paper showing how strep can, in the tonsils basically can 
create um, this TH17 response, which means that they're keeping the microglia um, activated because the, the, um, the cells are going through the cribriform plate and getting through, uh, through the brain, uh, to the brain. So it's like a, the location is key uh, there. Right. And so when we remove the palatine tonsils and the adenoids, again, I'm not recommending this for everyone. And again, I know this. Right, but it, it could be a blind spot. Like if people have been sick for a long time and they don't know to look here, this could be hugely helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you see the patients we see where, you know, tonsillectomy is like no big deal if it's recovering your health and your life, right? And yes. so um, getting that, um, sometimes removing that tissue can just um, allow us to um, see like leaps and bounds and progress rather than trying all the tools that we know, which, you know, of course, in a perfect world with unlimited resources may work eventually, but it just is a slower process. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so the, the tonsils are really important. Um, and then the mouth, right? So the mouth is an area, just again, even if you um, just think very um, simply that the proximity of the mouth to um, the neck and the vagus nerve. So if we yes. have any infection or environmental toxin in the mouth, that can affect the vagus nerve. And so we look at, we screen all of our patients for amalgam forms. Most patients um, have an awareness of that, but still many patients still need support getting their, their amalgam fillings out. Um, we screen for root canals. Root canals are essentially dead teeth, um, basically tooth dyes. Um, the nerve is taken out and then a dentist stuffs the root canal with non-biocompatible material that can basically be a breeding ground for infection over time. And they've shown that. Um, and so even when we have these um, root canals extracted, we send them to labs, we see a host of viruses, bacteria, even amoebas. So we, we know these are not sterile teeth. And even, you know, cardiologists know that our oral health is hugely important to our systemic health because of the blood um, supply and the entryway to the rest of the body. And then we look at the wisdom teeth, right? So the wisdom teeth and some patients, when they're removed, they're not removed as um, properly as we'd all like. And then um, depending on the state of the immune system to that area um, where you take the wisdom tooth out becomes a pocket and it doesn't really fill in with healthy bone. It becomes a, a pocket of infection, a reservoir of infection where Bartonella can hang out, viruses can hang out, bacteria, um, even you know parasitic infections can hang out. So the wisdom tooth area is related to the small intestine, endocrine and heart all vagus nerve, <laughs> um, you know, systems. So in Chinese medicine, um, made that connection already for us. But when we think about just the proximity to the vagus nerve, that can be a roadblock. So we, we look at the tonsils, we look at the mouth, and then whenever we're looking at the head and the, the neck and the brain, we always look at the sinuses uh, for all the same reasons we look at the tonsils, right? The proximity to the brain. And, um, you know, if someone's had a mold exposure or I, I just kind of, you know, most of my patients have sinus issues. And I just think of it as um, they have sinus dysbiosis, right? Just like how we have gut dysbiosis, there's a whole microbiome in our sinuses that often gets imbalanced. And we just need to continue to change up strategies. So we just really, whenever we're trying to recover the vagus nerve, we really clean up this area. And then we want to get the lymph draining, right? And so the lymphatic system is this whole other system. And, you know, I, I know you and I both love learning about the lymphatic system and 
I feel like the lymphatic system is, you know, still really one of the most overlooked systems in the body. I mean, I always remind people that the lymphatic system was only discovered in 2015. They just study, you know, they just call the interstitium a new organ, which is highly interconnected with the extracellular matrix and the lymphatic system, even the mesentery in the gut. You know, they found just a few years ago, it's this continuous, you know, um, um, connective tissue um, lining in the body that has a lot to do with communication. And so, um, so I, I just share that because it's like when you Google lymphatic system, it's not going to. Um, I, I think we have a lot to learn still. And I think, well, and I, I want to pause and just sing your praises. That was the best explanation I have ever heard about the tonsils, the teeth and the sinuses and why, you know, there are people that walk around and they always have a stuffy nose and they kind of live with it or think it's nothing. And it never occurs to them that until they clean that up, that can be mold that can be throwing off their whole body. So thank you. That was unbelievable. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a, a key starting point. And then the lymph, you know, we don't really think about the lymph because, you know, it's, it's forgotten the cells mobilize into the extracellular matrix, then the lymph carries things to the blood, but the lymph doesn't move itself. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important if you can kind of land on the lymph and land on, um, even I, I know you have done um, some photographs of congested mm -hmm. lymph nodes and how that impacts the vagus nerve. If you can talk about that a little bit, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, with conventional medicine, their understanding of the lymphatic system is, you know, post-mastectomy, lymph nodes removed, people get swelling, and then all of a sudden they need compression to support them. And, I, you know, it's, it's way more than that. And I think our patients, the lymphatic system is where all the action is, right? It's a waste of <laughs> You know, it's also um, an immune surveillance system. So that's where, you know, all of these stealth pathogens are not circulating in the blood. They're in the fascia, they're in the connective tissue, they're in the lymph, they're in the organs, they're in the nerves. And so um, the lymph is kind of this intersection there. And so, um, so with the lymphatic system, one of the things before we talk about the neck, I also always want to remind people that in order for the head and the neck and the extremities to drain, we have this whole lymphatic system in our gut. And so um, one of the things that we learned through friends in Germany, um, she trained us in a lymphatic technique called Sophia Matrix. And what that means is that we start on the abdomen before we um, go to the head and the neck and the extremities. So even if you're thin, you can have a, can, if you've had a chronically inflamed system or a chronically inflamed digestive tract, you can have a buildup of lymph in your gut. And so what we do is we help to drain that lymph with manual techniques. There's all sorts of wonderful other tools too for the lymph. Um, and I think even mine, abdominal massage, castor oil packs, even um, you know colon hydrotherapy and coffee enemas, I think part of why they work is they're getting the lymph to move you know, in the gut as well as the bile, of course. And so, um, so just- and, and, and to that point, what you've said before is that the body is a hydraulic system. And so if there's congestion down below, the brain can't even drain. And so that's, I love that you do that. I don't think people talk about that, really getting the gut moving, you know, or, or even if you're constipated starting there, you, you can't start mobilizing toxins from the brain if there's congestion lower down in the system. So keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And of course that ties into the vagus nerve just to take a step there that, 
you know, a lot of these women and a lot of these patients have slowed motility in their gut, right? So they're going to be constipated. They're going to have sluggish bile. The vagus nerve actually communicates to the gallbladder to release bile. And so if you have vagus nerve dysfunction, you can have uh, bile stagnation and constipation. And so it's this kind of catch 22, right? But we have lots of tools to help override that while we're, we're healing the vagus nerve. So we're going to um, use bitters and bile salts and phospholipids and, you know, different things to support acetylcholine communication in the gut and different, um, you know, things as simple as magnesium and vitamin C and other herbs to get the bowel moving. Um, so that that's really important for sure. We always want to make sure our organs of elimination are properly moving so we can minimize side effects or reactions when people go through treatment. So, so yes, we got to get our guts, you know, moving. And I always like to say, you know, we talk about the gut brain all the time, but think about the gut brain in this kind of lymphatic connection. So the lymph in the gut and the lymph in the brain are highly interconnected, kind of this parallel system in the body. Um, alongside, of course, we need to look at the microbiome and we need to look at all the other things in the brain. But um, I'm just trying to give what just a different lens of looking at things. And so, um, so go ahead. And I, and I want to really land on, you're hitting it from both angles, right? You're helping to kind of get the vagus nerve activated from the brain down. And then you're also working from the gut up so that it's, you know, it's almost like the information highway. You're helping it meet in the middle by working at it from both ends. Yeah. And when you know um, how the vagus nerve works, right? So, um, you know, 20% is brain to the body and then 80% of the fibers are um, body to brain. So we need, it's that bi-directional communication that's so fascinating about this nerve and we have to look at it from both angles for sure. Right. And, and I love that you brought in the gallbladder, you know, coffee enemas are a great way to activate yeah. the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And that's why, right? You know, yeah, so, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so, just kind of coming up stream to looking at the lymphatic system in the neck. Um, so we um, are friends with Dr. Ruggiero. He's a wonderful man, a researcher who's uh, done a lot of um, viral research and retroviral research, and also developed and formulated products. And he helped us develop something called the Sophia Flow Cream, which is a unique cream that has a probiotic in it that ha uh, produces something called macrophage activating factor. And it has this unique property to help move lymph and also support the immune system. Um, and he did, he um, was a radiologist. And so he, when we were developing the cream, he um, came to our clinic and did um, images of our patients and looked at via ultrasound. So he looked at basically um, uh, congestion, you know, in the neck and um, basically lymph node um, swelling and all of these signs of um, lymphatic stagnation. And while I'm talking, I also want to make sure I reference his paper, which he did with Dr. Bradstreet. And he, he knew this work before he came to our clinic. And so he saw in the children with autism that they had pooling in their brain of lymph buildup in the brain, and they also had um, cervical lymph node congestion. And so they demonstrated by opening up the lymph in the neck, they were able to um, move lymph in the brain and it led to symptom improvement. And so that really inspired him to um, come up with more tools. And so we and, and, and to that point, I saw the pictures. What was fascinating to me, we were kind of talking about how 
you know, the lymph, the veins and the vagus nerve, one can congest the other. You kind of had these before and after pictures where you had the congested lymph that was pushing against the vagus nerve. And then anything you apply transdermally gets into the system sometimes faster than what you um, assimilate through your digestive Mm -hmm. tract. So it really helped to open up the lymph and then it left more space for the vagus nerve and improve vagus nerve function. Absolutely. And so we use the flow cream, you have your lymphatic um, essential oil blend, there's the self-lymphatic drainage massage, Um, you know, there's different, um, you know, lights. Um, I, I love um, I have the sauna space thing um, on my desk here that's um, um, near infrared incandescent light that, um, you know, light really um, moves um, blood and moves lymph. And so I think, you know, we probably underutilize light, even though it's, it's becoming more popular and more affordable for people to have home units. Um, These are all great tools. And you have a great video on your site about how to, if people get nothing out of this video, just knowing to help move lymph in their neck, could yes. make a really big impact. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, you you already kind of summarized. You know, just moving the lymph in the neck is going to offload stress. Um, you know, on the vagus nerve uh, structurally, and then um, using tools like um, the flow cream that has the immune support, and then systemic tools. We have to get to the root of the infections, right? We have to support for the body clearing the infections. And we use a lot of herbal medicine. We love um, using liposomal delivery for herbs because of uh, the absorption, but, um, you know, herbs work and they, um, you know, they just did a study um, through the San Francisco arm that um, supports Lyme research. And they looked at Borrelia um, and it's um, basically Borrelia, um, it it was an um, in vitro study, but it was essentially looking at different herbs um, their effect against spirochetes versus antibiotics and all of the herbs that we traditionally use, they used and they showed that they were way more powerful. So things like cystis and Japanese knotweed and artemisia and um, we love, you know, andrographis and astragalus and redroot and, you know, all of these herbs that are really um, wonderful. So we use um, different um, lime herbs, we use different um, antiviral herbs. Um, we also, of course, um, treat parasitic infections. I think parasitic infections are very commonly overlooked and very, very, um, very, very common. So not only you know, when we say parasitic infections, we're not only talking about worms, but we're talking about protozoa. So protozoa act more like bacteria. And um, um, there's definitely a connection between chronic parasitic infections and um, they can affect the lymphatic system. So sometimes I um, am always um, reminded that clearing up parasitic infections can have a profound effect on the lymphatic system. So if you're trying all these things and still stuck, please, please, you know, work with a practitioner who acknowledges um, not only the labs you can do to try to demonstrate parasitic infections, but also the clinical signs and symptoms. And one of the things that we know is that um, unfortunately, some of the lab tests, there are a lot of false negatives, meaning the parasites are really, you know, tricky. And when we do a stool sample, um, we're not always going to capture, you know, a, a, an active parasitic infection, but the tests are getting better. I like GI map and I like diagnostics. Um, however, um, if you do a, um, a basic complete blood count, a lab test, there's a, um, an immune cell called an eosinophil. 
And eosinophils tend to be related to allergies, um, but they're also responsible for helping the body clear parasitic infections. And of course, I think of the connection between parasites and allergies, but that's a whole other topic. And so we... So, so what you're saying is if their blood work comes back with those levels high, think parasites. Yeah. If the eosinophils are above 2%, I would say, and you have other signs and symptoms, that can be a clue. So that can just yeah. be a clue. And, um, and I just wanted to say, I love, um, you know, plants, what the reason I love essential oils is because they're helping the immune system of the plant. So it makes sense to me. They're fighting predators that they would be powerful in parasites. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I know there are, you know, just lots of herbal tools to medications that we use for parasitic infections, but um, you know, that's another way to also help, um, you know, recover the gut. You know, if you have chronic dysbiosis or chronic liver gallbladder stagnation, and tried a lot of things. You know, parasitic infections can affect the uh, the bile ducts and, of course, lead to dysbiosis. And so, it's a it's a very rewarding thing to treat. You just yes. have to be comfortable identifying it and looking there. And can I ask you to talk a little bit about histamine and the vagus nerve and how those are correlated? Yeah, you know, there's this whole realm that I continue to dive in about histamine and all the variations, but a lot of these um, patients that I've mentioned, kind of this constellation of symptoms, um, they often have, um, whether it's a diagnosed mast cell activation syndrome, which some of them do, to some spectrum of an overactive um, mast cell response, meaning that their mast cells are more easily triggered to release histamine. And so histamine creates all these symptoms from hives to rashes, to flushing, uh, to nausea, to um, there's a lot of uh, brain fog. There's a lot of symptoms you might not always translate to just rashes and hives with histamine. Um, Dr. Jill Carnahan has a really great um, blog post on histamine. Um, And so, um, so yeah, so this histamine um, response is, um, you know, it also makes these patients harder to treat because they're highly sensitive too. So they're going to be the people that I start with one drop of an herb or, right, you know, we, right. So they don't react. Yeah, exactly. So um, all of this stuff. So I feel that, um, you know, there's this whole, we're, we're still learning about histamine. And so they're natural um, compounds to help um, stabilize the mast cell or um, help the body clear histamine better, or, um, you know, our H1 or H2 antagonists, um, how, and other medications as well. And so how this all relates to the vagus nerve is, um, I think, many fold. Um, right. uh, the things that I can um, kind of share with in my mindset. So there's a lot of histamine right in the gut. So we have our parietal cells in our stomach that produce histamine. So if you have um, chronic dysbiosis in your gut or uh, mast cell activation in your gut, remember the vagus nerve is going to sense that in the body and communicate that to the brain. So it can be a signaling thing that happens in the digestive tract. Um, The other piece that I still am learning about is the brainstem connection where there's a lot of mast cells um, in the brainstem. And so the way that the vagus nerve communicates to the brain is via the brainstem. It has to cross the brainstem to go into the the thalamus where it's communicated. And so, um, so again, when the body is in this um, overactive mast cell response, it can affect the communication and the vagus nerve. And the other thing I see too, Jody, is that um, when the vagus nerve is really stressed, right, um, and having a hard time because of um, all of the things, infection, you know, we haven't even touched on environmental toxins that affect the vagus nerve, but there are all of these, you know, stressors. 
And then I, I come to think, and maybe I'm wrong, that mast cell is kind of secondary to all of this, but it's definitely a, it's a presentation. And so what happens is, um, what I believe is that this is like this whole other um, secondary inflammation that's happening in the, in the body. And then um, that's um, creating a lot more stress when there's this histamine response that's overwhelming the vagus nerve. And then the vagus nerve was already stressed and doesn't have the um, proper communication to turn off that inflammatory response from right. the histamine that, that it knows how to do. So long story short, it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. The other. yeah. And long story short, if the vagus nerve is dysfunctional, not producing enough acetylcholine, it does, it's not equipped to balance this histamine response. And so this histamine response is going to be overactive because what they've shown is the vagus nerve stimulation can actually help quiet mast cells. So we, it, it's part of the, um, putting the brakes on the histamine, if you will. That is so amazingly put. You, you've shared so much amazing information. I'm, I'm so grateful. Did you want to kind of touch on the gut or did you want to just share yeah. your... Yeah, I think, um, I think just with gut health, you know, think of lymphatic drainage in the gut. Think of, you know, of course, all the things that create dysbiosis from bacteria to fungus and don't forget parasitic infections. I think health is all about lymphatic flow and bile flow. I'm a big proponent of getting the bile to move in any way, shape, or form that you can. Coffee enemas being a really wonderful strategy, especially when you're not feeling well. Um, so I think those are the the things that I really want to make sure people take away with um, is, you know, if only you can do at home castor oil packs and coffee enemas, you're doing a, a great job supporting your lymphatic system and getting the bile to flow in your gut, which will translate into, um, you know, better a better balance in the gut that translates to better, um, you know, the vagus nerve can tell the brain it's all okay down there. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would just leave with um, as far as digestive health. This was so amazing. Thank you so much for doing such a deep and such a incredibly comprehensive and understandable dive about the tonsils, the mouth, the neck, the, you know, lymph, the gallbladder. This was amazing, Christine. Thank you. Well, thank you for the invitation. And I'm so excited that you're sharing all the information that you are. Thank you for listening. I hope this podcast empowered you with some useful information and takeaways. If you like this episode, please consider sharing a positive review and consider subscribing. I would also love to offer you my free parasympathetic toolkit as a gift just for listening. It will teach you how to activate the most important nerve in your body to turn on your ability to heal. This freak toolkit includes a checklist, a video, and a detailed guide. If this podcast prompted any questions, you can always find answers on my blog at Vibrant Blue Oils or in my book, Essential Oils to Boost the Brain and Heal the Body. Until next time, wishing you vibrant health.